Welcome to another episode of Two Guys What Work in a Cinema, where we've ma- we've managed to have a fluid conversation for about fifteen minutes before this has even started recording. Yeah, so it's yeah. gonna be a good one. It turns out all along, <laughs> listeners, that Mark's shitty modem, <laughs> shitty internet connection in Scotland is the problem. <laughs> no, I'm not, it, it's not the shitty internet connection, is it? Because because I put a wire in it, it's all worked. Yeah. It's my it's shitty, shitty wireless wireless connection. router, which is probably Taiwanese made. So if you're going to blame anybody, right, blame the bloody Taiwanese. Don't be blaming us Scots. Oh, we it's typical dodgy, of you English, isn't it? Just always, always blaming the Scots for everything that goes wrong. Um, do, Independence do now, vote yes. Do all the Scots just blame the Thais, or is it just you that does that? No, that's very much just me. <laughs> that's good. So, uh, oh, God. What are we discussing this month, Stuart? We haven't introduced ourselves again, have we? <sighs> I'm, I'm Stuart, you're Mark. This is two guys that work in the cinema. And this month we'll be discussing Bad Neighbours, Godzilla, X-Men. I'm just calling it X-Men. I'm not fucking yep. doing the whole thing. And uh, Edge of Tomorrow. <laughs> and listeners are going to be going, but what X-Men? There's like six of them. <laughs> be a surprise. Yeah. Um, it's been a funny old month for me. The uh, the three films that I thought I would all be shit, I actually quite enjoyed to Okay. Of varying degrees, and the one that I was super excited for, I didn't enjoy that much. Well, isn't that like life? <laughs> yeah, it's just reinforced my notion or my like my belief. And people will have a go at me about this. Oh no, you can't live your life like this, Stuart. And I'm like, no, never look forward to anything. Always <laughs> expect the worst. Like expect everything to be shit. And when if it is shit, you won't be disappointed. You'll be like, yeah, oh, that's what I expected. Yeah. But if you enjoy it, you'll be surprised. See, what happened is I got really excited about something. I got my hopes up and I was crushed. So just never look forward to anything. Always expect everything to be as bad as it could possibly be. That's my life philosophy. And this month has just, you know, reinforced that, that I'm right. On which bleak philosophy for life will roll the thin chin? <laughs> <sighs> Let's, right, get, let's get to it. Yeah. Uh, first of the month, the biggest comedy of the year, which is because it's amazing what you can do with a nine-day opening weekend. Uh, <laughs> Bad Neighbours. With Bad uh, neighbors. Seth Rogen and Zac Efron together at last. And, um, and James Franco's little brother. Yes, of course, Dave Franco. Little Dave Franco. Little Davey. So, yeah, Bad Neighbours. I've fucking forgotten. I was thinking earlier, but, man, we talk about Bad Neighbours. What am I going to say? It's a good job I've got a page of notes to remind me. Um, yeah, well, it's, you know, frat boy, it was all right. frat boy comedy. It's okay. I mean, it's not nearly as funny as it should be for the runtime, I don't think. Mm. I don't really remember laughing as much. Well, certainly as consistently as you would maybe expect from... Well, from a Seth Rogen film, I'm you know I'm usually quite a fan, to be honest. You know, I've got yeah. nothing. I'm not one of these people that you know is like really rags on Judd Apatow and Seth Rogen, um, for causing massacres in America. But that's that's for another that's for another podcast. Um, I just I don't know, like because I think the central conceit is really good. That it's kind of like you know, it's like a group of college students who are sort of just about to reach adulthood, versus this couple that. Are adults and they hate it and they want to go back to yeah. being young and, and, and stuff like that and I just I don't know it's got a nice theme behind it it's got a lot more heart to it than I thought it would yeah. like, judging by the trailer I thought I, I wasn't looking forward to it at all because I thought the trailer looks a bit shit to be mm-hmm. honest it was funnier than I expected and it's not the empty meathead sort of teen comedy type thing that I expected it's actually got yeah like you say the story behind it is quite nice that sort of adults sort of miss their youth because the two main sort of frat boys are um, Dave Franco and Zac Efron. Yeah. And they're obsessed with like, getting their name on this legendary board for their um, frat house, or is it? I can't remember yeah, what, the what they call them. Yeah, the fraternity, yeah. Yeah. And um, like, Zac Efron's obsessed with it, and Dave Franco sort of, as the film goes on, you realise he's going along with it, but 
he realizes it's not real. It's all just yeah. college bullshit. Whereas Zac Efron's like really, really emotionally invested in it because as a, his character sort of feels like this is he he knows deep down that this is the only time he's going to be like feel like he's king of the world and like he's that he he means something as a person. Like everyone looks up to him and he's the head of the that fraternity house or whatever and this is the only time in his life that he'll feel important and he knows that he's going to have a you know just a bog standard existence mm. I think whereas the, his mate Dave Franco has actually got prospects and he's going to get a good job after he gets his degree and stuff so so these yeah it's got it's there's a nice the characters are quite well rounded and there's you know it's got good heart to it but like you say, it's probably not as funny as you would expect. Yeah, I mean, I think it comes in because I think a lot of it was improv. Really? Um, I think, well, maybe not necessarily improv, but I think they let the camera run on scenes so that like they could just kind of riff off each other. Oh yeah, yeah. And that doesn't always work, you know. I think mm. I think I'd rather watch a comedy film that has a really tight script. You know, then watch something yeah. where it's kind of just feels that it's just kind of going on and on and on long before, you know, it it's sorry long after it's it's been funny. Yeah, and I think that's certainly one of the main problems with it. Um, but I mean, there is some really really genuinely funny bits in it. Like I love the <laughs> Robert De Niro party, uh, but <laughs> yeah. that's hilarious. And um, and the sort of mildly Steve Coogan, Rob Brydon-esque bit where they're talking about um, like who Zac Efron sees as Batman and who Seth Rogen sees as Batman yeah. is quite funny as well. Um, so, I mean, yeah, there's there's laughs in there. I just don't think there's nearly enough. Or that, you know, mm. maybe it could have been a bit more disciplined and tighter. Yeah, it's, and it was quite base at times as well. It had a lot of sort of like gross-out comedy. And- yeah, there's a lot of that. And there's, a, there's so many dick gags. So yeah, and it's not like I'm against it, but it just felt like it could have, it didn't need to have so. It's like they were just putting them in there to try and appeal to a certain demographic, and I was like, it, it sort of let the film down a little bit. I didn't think it didn't need to have all of that. Yeah, I mean, unless that's a stylistic choice, and me and you are supposed to feel too old for that sort of thing. <laughs> oh, possibly, yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's it. Like it. <laughs> it's an excellent demonstration of form and content. <laughs> what a great directorial choice. Yeah, um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm wondering if Seth Rogen is his uh, his shtick is getting a bit old now, because Jonah Hill, as we've mm. seen recently, he's moving away from all of that. Oh yeah, definitely. He's still doing stuff like you know, Twenty Two Jump Street. Obviously, it was it was Which quite a next really couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah, but that was really highly rated. But I'd be surprised if I'd, I wouldn't like to see Jonah Hill start doing things like you know the. The sitter or the babysitter or whatever that sort of thing was called, and he needs to sort of. And after doing Wolf of Wall Street and um, Django Unchained, Moneyball, it does seem like he could have a, like a proper good career as yeah, an actor, I think so. a, a comedic actor, but uh, you know, doing good acting. And uh, Seth Rogen doesn't seem to. He just keeps seem to be doing the same thing over. And who's the other guy? Who's um, Jason Siegel? Yeah, yeah. He's really branching out, doing the Muppets. He's doing good comedies. He's doing different characters in in different sort of films. He's not just doing the same character over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but Seth Rogen just seems to be doing the same thing every game. Plays the same sort of character in the same sort of way. Yeah, you do get that. It's kind of oh look, there's Seth Rogen, good old reliable Seth Rogen doing what yeah. good old reliable Seth Rogen does. I mean, even Michael Sarah now is doing like indie films where he's playing slightly against what you expect Michael Sarah to be doing, which, you know, is possibly long overdue. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I know what you mean. I think maybe Seth Rogen needs his Wolf of Wall Street or his Bunny Ball or something. Hmm. He's still watchable, but it's not enough to just carry a film or sell a film. Like yeah. I was, I, I want a bit more from Bad Neighbours than just Seth Rogen doing his thing again because it's, it, it's getting a bit old. And thankfully, I think there is enough, there is more to the film than just Seth Rogen. Well, Zac Efron... I, I thought yeah. was really good, and I think their chemistry together was really good as well. Yeah, it um, was which good, was a it? surprise. Oh, people were talking about like he was, oh, it's going to change the way you think about Zac Efron and his acting ability. So, well, no, he plays a, a, a prick, and I could <laughs> quite easily have imagined that he could play a prick really well. 
yeah. it wasn't a stretch. But yeah, he was good in it. It just shows that if you give him a good part with a sort of all right script, he's not incompetent. Yeah, and um, he's, he's quite a good comic performer as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean, it was, you know, not great, not terrible. Yeah, it was alright. Had a couple of good gags. I can't remember what they are, but they, I do remember there being a couple. Well, the main... I liked... The main huh? gags in the fucking trailer were the airbags. Yeah. yeah. Which was I liked. Shame. I liked his friend, I thought. He's... Oh, right. Now, his friend... Right, the moment he came on, I was like, "Oh, was Chris Pratt busy? Was he?" <laughs> no, this guy's in. Um, I don't know if anyone, any of our listeners, watched the Mindy Project, Mindy right. Kaling's um, sitcom. Yeah, he's in that, and he's one of the best things in that. Okay, he's really good in it, um, and he's kind of playing the same character from the sitcom as in this. Right. But uh, yeah, Chris Pratt probably was busy though. He, probably he was. is very busy at the moment because <laughs> he's uh, he's hit the big time now, isn't he? So he really has, and you know, deservedly so. I think, I think mm. yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I thought he was. I liked his character in, in it. I thought he was good, and he had one of the best lines. I think uh, the rape the rape <laughs> line that was. I think the best joke in the film. <laughs> but I think you know, whatever. It's 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 an okay film. It's it's not terrible. Past if you see time. it for if you see it for three quid. On DVD one day, in the in the the sale section of the shop, pick it up. Yeah, waste it'll waste an hour and a half. Yeah, it's a good plane movie. It's like a, a film I'd watch on a plane. You know. Yeah, I guess I've never been on a plane, so I can't. You've never been on a plane? Oh, Stuart. No. <laughs> and I've seen flight. Just so nodding no sadly now. <laughs> having the past few. A few years I've been watching Flight non-stop. I've got yeah. no desire to get on a plane anytime soon. It's funny, there was quite a good email sent in to uh, Mark Kermode and Simon Mayo the other day uh, by a guy who's responsible for buying the films that they show on planes. All right. And he was like, I'm sick of like every film these days. It just seems to either have like, you know, a plane crashing as like a major plot point or just like unnecessary, like in Godzilla, we're like, which we'll come to in a minute. Just like where an airport gets decimated for no discernible reason. It's like, well, I can't show that on the plane now because it's going to stress everybody the fuck out. <laughs> Imagine you get on a plane and flight comes on. <laughs> you watch yeah. flight. You, you would just be like, I fucking hope Denzel Washington's in the cockpit then because. Grabbing the like the air stewards and going, what the fuck is this? I'm freaking out. It's like, no, no, it's a really, it's a really good film about a man battling his alcoholism. And it's like, no, I've just watched a fucking plane get whipped in half and flying upside down, and half of the half the passengers die. No, they don't. Yeah, they do. He kills loads of well, loads of oh, them he die. Doesn't. No, he doesn't. But the passengers do. Them. I thought it was just the air hostess and like somebody else. I'm sure it's like half of them died. And that's why he's so like, yeah, I'm fucking, I'm a hero. I saved all these people. I thought it was like half, half of them died and they were like, you saved half of, you've crashed, the plane crashed and you saved line. half of them. <laughs> it's a big deal on, if you Denzel, can keep... you saved half of them. All right, don't be getting Well, no, but that's a, really, <laughs> that's a really good thing. If you can save half the people on the plane during a plane crash, normally everyone fucking dies because <laughs> it, it's a plane that's dropped out of the sky at 100 miles an hour or whatever. I'm starting to see why you've never taken a flight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think the survival rate for plane crashes are, are high. No, but then also the number of plane crashes isn't particularly high either. That's true. I feel like we've wandered somewhat off topic. <laughs> Welcome along to Two Guys What Discuss Air Travel. <laughs> and plane crash statistics. Yeah. But talking about talking about massive loss of life, uh <laughs> nice, things is quite nice. nice I, I was smooth. Got, Godzilla. That was very smooth. I liked it. Cheers. <laughs> yeah, Godzilla. Yeah, I just I, I want to start off saying I think I might have misled you, making it sound like I hated the film. Like I didn't hate it. Yeah. I just want to I just want to go on record and say okay. I didn't hate the film. Um, I, and like, I think I, I maybe misled it, you when I said that you know I loved it. I I very much enjoyed it. Yeah. And I'll come to why I was so very excited coming out of the cinema in a second, but I'll let you. <laughs> Well, like, I I watched it and I was perfectly sort of, I don't want to say entertained, but distracted for two hours. I wasn't like, it's like, 
it's a bit like the Phantom Menace. Like, I know the Phantom Menace is shit. When I think about it, everything about it is shit. But mm. when I watch it, you know, I'm not. I'm perfectly entertained for two hours. It's not like, and that's. I guess that's the biggest compliment you can give George Lucas for the Phantom Menace. Is like, I'm not thinking about how shit it is while I'm watching it. That's, okay. Yeah. That's, that's as, yeah, as good as you can say. And it's kind of like that with Godzilla. Like I thought, yeah, it was, it was all right. It wasn't as I, I knew I was a bit disappointed when I came out. But the more I thought about everything about it, I was like, yeah. The more I realised it, it really just did nothing right for me. Not not that it did everything badly. It just didn't do anything well, and <laughs> okay. and just did everything wrong. I, I I could think how everything in it could could have been how I would have liked it to have been. Um, so yeah. Okay, that's, that's like one of the most non-committal slaggings off of a film you've ever given. It was it was Man of Steel all over again. Let's put it that way. Do you remember the trailer for Man of Steel? Yeah, so promising. The way it was, the shots they used with the the select choice bits of dialogue yeah. from the film, making it seem like oh, it's going to have all these themes. It's going to have all this sort of substance to it. It looked fucking classy. And mm-hmm. this is Godzilla. This trailer, the trailer looked amazing. All these beautiful shots, this imagery of like. Well, um, no, it does. It, the thing is, though, it do, it does look beautiful. At, at quite a lot. There's some great imagery in it, like the you know the submarine up a tree and the bit where they're kind of parachuting down through all that kind of smoke and flares. And yeah, stuff, stuff like, that. like that. It looks great, but in a trailer, it looks amazing. But when you actually see it in the film, it's all just because it's not got any. Don't know. It's just like lots of nice shots but it don't really mean anything like for example in the trailer you've got um it's talking about you've got the the clip of the audio clip of brian cranston talking about how it's not a typhoon yeah this isn't a typhoon disaster (laughs) yeah that's the worst brian cranston impression i've ever (laughs) heard like just sound nothing like him for the record but yeah you've got he's talking about how you like it's a conspiracy like people are trying to trick trick them and then you've got um the Japanese guy, you'll know his name. What's his name? Ken Watanabe. Yeah, him. Let's call him Ken. Ken talking about how our man's greatest. Uh... I won't do an impression of him. <laughs> Best not. Yeah, but man's greatest folly is thinking that he's in control of nature when it's actually the other way around. Yeah. And you've got this really great bit of you know audio with shots of like destroyed cities, which mm-hmm. you know obviously evoke recent memories of like a uh, hurricane katrina and all the flooding yeah actually, and all the tsunamis the earthquake and i thought wow it's going to be a contemporary godzilla because godzilla obviously once represented uh the threat of nuclear war Absolutely, or an atomic yeah. power that's not as anywhere near as relevant today so they've they've changed it it's going to represent you know the force of mother nature and global warming and or something like that Oh no! Actually, it's all suggested in the trailer. Yeah. It makes it seem like it's going to be a really intelligent, classy-looking, classy film. It's actually a really, like you ended up saying, Man of Steel, just smashy, smashy. This is just really bog-standard Hollywood. It's got all the Hollywood cliches in there. I've written a bunch of them down. It's actually not that dissimilar from the last Godzilla film. It just looks like it's a really nice, classy, okay. classy-looking film, but it's actually not that different well, a kind think, of film to The Last Godzilla. I don't know. I I, I preferred it to The Last Godzilla. Oh, yeah, uh, no, I, I mean, obviously. the thing is, I, I think, you know, you that is a really valid criticism of it, that, you know, it's it supposedly sets out to be this whole thing about you can't mess with nature and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and it falls flat. And I think, yeah, you're right. In terms of having any sort of depth and any sort of political message or, you know, social message, which the original Godzilla has in fucking spades, um, this doesn't necessarily live up to that. But to be honest, I wasn't I wasn't going in looking for that. <laughs> if I want a Godzilla film that has, like, a strong political message, I'll go back and watch that original one because it is superb hmm. um, but this to be honest I went to see it on the biggest screen I could find in Edinburgh the loudest screen I could find in Edinburgh and for two hours I just watched big fucking monsters smash shit out of each other and I felt like an eight year old boy so that's kind of what I was wanting from it and that is what I got from it fair enough it's got its flaws it's absolutely got its flaws every human character to be honest is, one of, is you know terrib- terribly terribly you know, 
broadly yeah. drawn characters. Aaron Taylor Johnson, for example. He's just oh. Yeah. I don't care. Yeah, it's to the to the point where like I don't know why half the characters were in it. I don't know why Brian Cranston's wife was in it, other than just so he could be a bit mental yeah, when just you cut nine years why later. He's mental. Yeah. yeah. Uh the Aaron Taylor Johnson's wife and his son don't need to be in the film whatsoever. Yeah. Um it's they just serve like I'm not going to say it's like to drive the narrative. It's just to it's, give the characters something to do or to get them from to, A to B. Or to make you go, oh no, God, what if he dies and those people are left without their, hus- their husband and father? Wouldn't that be yeah, terrible? But you don't, you don't care. <laughs> yeah. But like, like uh, Brian Cranston's wife is just there so that he can be a bit mental later on, and he needs to be mental so that he'll go back to this this site where it happened and. And he only goes to that site so he can take his son there. His son happens to go along, and then so his son can get involved in the action. Yeah. And once his son's involved, Brian Cranston don't need to be there anymore, so he can die. It doesn't matter. He's just—they all just serve really obvious. Yeah. (laughs) They all just serve really obvious, you know, purposes. Like, and they don't. Yeah, they don't feel like well-drawn characters with depth, or you don't care about any of them. The thing is, they do feel like characters in a film. At no point do you feel. Like they're human Anything. beings, no. you know what I mean. They're all just there to serve a purpose for the for Godzilla to get where Godzilla needs to go, um, yeah. which is fine. I mean, you know, in terms of the design and in terms of the way it's shot, I do think it looks great, and I do think it's slightly above certain similar blockbusters of recent times. However, it does have that kind of worrying trend at the moment, which I think will come to an expense and why it. And actually, to be honest, Edge of Tomorrow. And why it doesn't do that, and why that should be, you know, applauded, is that it, Godzilla kind of towards the end resorts to this really obvious nine eleven imagery, yeah, which has now become so passe. It's become like, oh, that's just visual shorthand for bad stuff is happening. And it's like, well, should you know, should we be doing that? Should we be reducing these historical events to just cinematic shorthand? Yeah, I don't know. It's almost oh, I don't know, it sounds really bad, but it's like people seeing nine eleven footage is so it was real, and you can see things in the cinema, but having seen something so shocking and so evocative for real, it's like Hollywood's goes, oh, we need to up our game because people are seeing movie <laughs> yeah. shit in real life. We need to stop <laughs> completely. As cynical as than... as cynical as that sounds, I would not be surprised. <laughs> yeah, it's like instead of Godzilla, like smashing a few stories of a building off the corner with his tail we now need to have him fucking level the building and send debris and smoke flying uh, yeah it's yeah it has got a lot of sort of 9-11 imagery but also like you know natural disaster imagery as well earthquakes yeah and, and nuclear power stations well yeah. it's just obviously a natural disaster but you know but yeah that, that happened in japan recently, yeah there's a slight it? So it obviously evokes Fukushima, a lot of yeah. that yeah, I just expected so much more. I thought because he'd done Monsters, the director, which was quite a classy sort of indie I've still never monster seen it. movie. And uh, I, seeing the trailer with all the amazing imagery of like the the disaster stuff, the the, um, the guys coming down into the smoke with the red streams mm-hmm. or whatever jumping out the, the halo jumps. Yeah, it just everything looks so beautiful in the trailer. But when you actually watch the film, Mate, it's it's still, a, it still looks good in IMAX. Yeah, it looks good, but it's just bog. It's just bog standard in every way. Look, some of the cliches in it, right? Just like the old, the last Godzilla, which is Roland fucking Emmerich. You've got yeah. the scientist. Oh, he's the only one that knows what's going on. No one else believes him. And then, which is like Matthew Broderick's character God. to an extent. And then he be, ends up being. There's an actual line where Aaron Taylor Johnson's like, "I'm the only one that can stop this bomb." Like the minute he's like, oh, "Please yeah, let me come yeah, along," yeah. and they're like, "No, no, you you don't know what you're doing." Hey, I'm the only one that can stop that bomb. So he has to go along. Oh, it's so cliched. You've got the eggs. You've got the nuclear bombs somewhere in the city. They have to go and defuse the bomb. You've got the eggs. They're trying to stop Godzilla from having offspring. Although it's the other monsters. But that's, yeah. you know, just like in the last one. And it even had... Do you remember Independence Day? Where you've got the woman holding onto her kid running down the tunnel with all the flames chasing her and the yeah. dog. And they just yeah. they just <laughs> duck inside. It had the exact same fucking thing. Yeah, had a guy running along with his kid running away from the floods a dog. and a dog. Yeah. And you're like, well, they're obviously not going to die. You know, I know that because I've seen Independence Day. <laughs> and the bit on the train, like this 
this little Asian kid that Aaron Taylor Johnson's yeah. looking after, and oh, the kid's short falling, round. and, and he he's just short him. round from uh, Temple Doom. <laughs> yeah, which he's is so mean. You'll be really racist today. <laughs> no, no, I don't. Just because he's Asian, he doesn't say anything he's else. He's got like a little baseball cap on as well. He's like his little Asian kid sidekick. But there is a lot of like visual nods to Spielberg, which was what my my old racism was leading to. <laughs> um, just like in the way Godzilla's shot is vaguely Jaws like there's the whole fa- like you know absent father thing which is so prevalent in loads of movies yeah. you know so I mean it, it's taking cues of, you know as fair enough as you point out a lot of them are cliches but yeah it, it, it does take a lot of cues from other blockbusters yeah it's just it's just so by the book just so by the book and that's what it really surprised me and disappointed me it's just uh was expecting more, and it's got some. It's got lots of like I don't want to say plot holes because it's not the. I think that's a term that's always fucking thrown around yeah. when it's not. Um, but bits like a lot of things people moaned about the Dark Knight Rises is just like loads. Of, well, how did he get back there so quickly, and how did that? Well, happen? it does that and same thing, doesn't it? It's like we've got to fly the nuclear bomb into the ocean. Yeah. Oh, that was the thing. Like the two biggest ones for me that was just absolutely like. Make you want to stand up in the cinema. Going, is anyone else? Did anyone else see that? <laughs> You've got Ken, the Japanese guy, saying they're like, "There's fucking monsters rampaging around the city. They're destroying everything. They're killing thousands of people. What should we do?" The military, like, they don't know what to do. We're fighting it. It's not doing anything. And he goes, "Oh, I think Godzilla's going to turn up. Fucking what? Who? This massive monster is going to be here soon. I can just feel it. How do you know that?" How do you have any... Oh, just because nature balances out ours. Are you a prophet? Like, is there like some sort of prophecy that no one else fucking knows about? And then he does. Godzilla turns up, right? And and, gets, and now the military go, fucking hell, there's fucking t- three of them. What are we going to do? And he's like, let them fight. Are you mental? Are you fucking mental? Let them fight. They're going to kill thousands of people, do billions of dollars worth of damage. Let them fight. Okay, then one of them wins. There's still one left. What are we gonna do? <laughs> well, that's, nah, that's right. the funny thing because, like, obviously, the whole message is like when he does that is like, you know, you gotta let nature run its course. It's like, well, when nature runs its course and decimates a whole like yeah. city block, maybe we should not let nature run its course. Yeah, it's like it, it's like if you know President Kennedy joined the Cuban Missile Crisis, you know, the threat of nuclear war. Just gotta let nature run its course. Just let, yeah, one of us is gonna get nuked. That's nature. Balance out in the end. Let the nukes fly. Hit that red button. <laughs> it's just in, it's just insane. And then at the end, you've got this is the most offensive one. You've got because if people thought Batman was bad, I hope they aren't giving this fucking film a free ride. Aaron Taylor Johnson is on a boat <laughs> oh, with a yeah, bomb. I hate this as well. And we are told that this bomb has got. It's like someone actually says the lines like serious, like megaton fucking bomb this is big right and he's parked about a meter away from the dock right and there's like five and let's say the boat's drifting i think it might be drifting and it's like five what is it on the t- clock like not long at all it's like a ah, five minutes oh, yeah. less than five minutes and godzillas they have their fight whatever the monsters are and then the character gets airlifted out right you're not shown that they moved the boat or did anything with the bomb let's just assume that they floored the boat full throttle away from the city the bomb goes off and doesn't do anything it's like this bomb would have decimated half the city the fucking fallout the radiation and everything it there's no way that this bomb could have got far away enough in the city if you watch the film it just doesn't make any sense the boat is next to the city and uh, then series 2 or 24 like when Jack Bauer, like when like George Mason flies the fucking nuclear bomb in the desert, and Jack <clears throat> Bauer parachutes out about ten yards away from it, and everything's fine. It's all no, okay. there's they have they have a timer. It was vaguely plausible in twenty four, but this is just you're shown the boat is next to the city with a few minutes left on the clock, and then the next thing it's exploding off in the middle of the ocean. It is just <laughs> appalling. It, it was insulting. It really fucking annoyed me. Well, fair enough. Yeah, but, I. It's... You didn't get to see Godzilla enough. It was like oh, he don't, wasn't. Don't... Yes, he did. It was a supporting character in his own fucking film. I got more than I got enough Godzilla. Thanks very much. Oh, I didn't. I'm done with this Cloverfield shit. J.J. Abrams did it well. No, he didn't. Everyone else can stop fucking trying to copy. Oh, don't show the monster until the last half an hour. It fucking annoys me, man. Because when he does show Jaws. up, that's all I'm gonna see. 
<laughs> no, but when they actually go out to sea, you see Jaws all the fucking time. He's always swimming about, munching on stuff. Jaws is perfectly done. But, like, Godzilla doesn't show up for 45 minutes. Then when he does, he spends half his time swimming around underwater so you can't see him. And then when he does start knocking around in the city, you sort of teased not really shown him properly you're teased with like there's a shot where it's in the trailer where they they're going indoors and they shut the doors on him just as you can see him in the sky it just annoyed me it's not until the very end of the film you actually get to properly see him but it's all about building the sense of scale i mean the the thing that i did you see pacific rim no i didn't see it because the thing i didn't like about pacific rim was the fact that like as they went, right, well, we've got a big robot and a big monster, let's have them have a fight. And it's like, well, no, because all that is, you don't get the sense of how big they are. They're just two things, like, smashing fuck out of each other. Mm. Whereas, like, what Gareth Edwards does is that he does give Godzilla a sense of scale. Like, he, he shows it in respect to scale, other things yeah. and stuff like that, which is what you what you want. You want to be able to feel how, you know, big the creature is supposed to be. Absolutely. And he does... The, the, th- the only thing I think Godzilla this film does brilliantly is the look of Godzilla, the way he looks and the way he acts, like the sense of scale, the sense of destruction and his power. He's not charging around like a fucking lizard in the, the last one does, just zipping around all over the place. He just slowly just staggers around, smashing everything. And he's, he looks absolutely fantastic. I couldn't have imagined Godzilla looking better. Mm. And uh, I, I just think you weren't shown it. You didn't see him enough. It seems like a sequel. Like he deserve, he should have had a film where he goes on a rampage or whatever, and then this mon- him fighting other monsters could have been a sequel. Well, it's or shit. Sequel. It, I mean, obviously that is pretty much every Godzilla sequel since 1954. Is Godzilla mm. has to come back and fight some be- some worse monsters. Um, so yeah, it does kind of feel like a, one of those sequels more than than an actual new rebooted Godzilla, which yeah. is fine, I guess. You know. Yeah, it's just, I guess, you know, maybe I should watch it again and take think about it for what it is. Because I, I had an idea of the kind of film I, I was hoping for it to be, and I was disappointed that it wasn't that film. I wanted it to be mm-hmm. something else. So maybe I need to watch it again to judge it by its own merits. But, you know, that said, I still think it does a lot. It's generally pretty shit for the most part. I just thought of another fucking cliche where they're on the bridge and it's like, be quiet. Godzilla's right next to us. <laughs> Don't make a sound or he might hear us. Fucking Jurassic Park. Fucking the last Godzilla, I'm sure, had that same fucking scene in it. It's just awful. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> well, to continue the blockbuster discussion, shall we move on to X-Men? Yeah. X-Men 7. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, it's been seven. Yeah, there's been seven, well, X vaguely X-Men related movies, yeah. I've uh, the only X Men films I've seen were the first two films, okay. and I saw them in the cinema on release, which is fucking like a decade ago. So I can't Gosh. remember them at all. Yeah, and I saw First Class, um, which you didn't which like, didn't... did you? No, I thought it was a bit shit, man. I thought it was like someone gave a lot of money to a student filmmaker. Um, it's maybe so a I fair went... criticism of Matthew Vaughn. I'm not too sure. <laughs> <laughs> I had really low expectations of this, and I actually really really enjoyed it i think it's as somebody who like i grew up watching the x-men cartoon and stuff like that and um so like when those first x-men i mean x the first brian singer x-men was the first dvd i ever bought um (laughs) so like i I love x-men and i do genuinely think this is possibly my favorite x-men film because looking Mm. back at the original brian singer ones they're not i think they're unfairly lauded as these great films they're not actually that good they're fairly standard kind of superhero blockbuster films, um, but yeah, this this is good, man. This is. Did this... he do them before Sam Raimi did Spider Man? Uh, the first one, definitely. Yeah, the first X Men yeah. was two thousand. Yeah, and Sam Raimi's Spider Man was two thousand and one. Because think about it, was that X Men would have been the first like superhero film that was good since Batman, Tim Burton's Batman. Yeah. Definitely. And what's that like? A decade. There's like a decade gap between Batman Returns and because uh, in between that you have it like Batman Forever and Batman and Robin fucking territory. I mean, like superhero films were. I think yeah, it's like I remember really enjoying the X Men films, but I don't. I wouldn't go back watching it expecting it to be this really amazing bit of yeah cinema. It's just I think he did a, a superhero film that was very enjoyable and wasn't utter, mm. utter shit and camp. <laughs> 
which I think people yeah, love, th- so people go that, crazy for that. I think that's quite a good point, because I, mean, I, I think there was a, a sort of clear sort of decision to try and move away from the campness, which is why they're all dressed in like black, black suits yeah. instead of like Wolverine's like yellow and black and Cyclops is like blue and yellow and all this kind of thing. Um, yeah. To kind of move away from that camp. And I think, you know, this does it as well because it's set in a futuristic dystopia for the first mm. 20 minutes and then sort of goes yeah. back to the 70s and stuff. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Actually, um, um, there was something I meant to do that you should have you should have asked me. I was going to do Alvin's reviews. Oh, shit, yeah. Come on, let's, do, let's just do it. Let's do them right now. I'll do them now, and then you can splice them in. Okay. Nah, I'll fucking leave it here. <laughs> okay. So okay, well we'll do right. So we've some already we've discussed bad neighbors and Godzilla. Yeah. Uh, bad neighbors. So you know, you and I, we we thought it was all right. We thought it was okay. Yeah. You know, Alvin gave it. Uh, <laughs> Alvin uh, called it an eight out of ten family versus fraternity comedy movie. Now the thing here, Stuart, is that yeah. all of that is spelt properly. <laughs> Shut up. Seriously? He spelt fraternity right. He spelt fraternity right. He spelt verses right. He didn't even put VS, he put verses. Wow. I for he Alvin I wouldn't even it. Alvin I wouldn't even expect VS, I'd expect V. Yeah. It's <laughs> family V fraternity movie. But no, he's gone he's put all the you know when Alvin's serious when he actually does puts in the effort with the spelling. Maybe he's sick of you and you and Ben fucking <laughs> divided him constantly <laughs> on Facebook with spelling. Look, Ben and I are both men that have moved away from Thanet and have struggled to find new friends. So we <laughs> pass our time by just picking on Alvin but... on social networking websites. <laughs> All right? That's just how we spend. And don't judge us. You know, we know it's bad. We know we're pathetic human beings. But that's what we do, okay? That's just what we do. I'm not judging. <laughs> what, what did he say about Godzilla then? So Godzilla... I think, if I remember, he was a bit underwhelmed with it He also. gave it a 7 out of 10, which in Alvin terms is used... Well, I'll come to this in a minute, but Alvin gave it a, called it a 7 out of 10 mega monsters disaster movie. Again, all of that spelt properly. Wow. Um, now, the thing is... So Alvin... Usually, 7 out of 10 with Alvin means that he didn't really like it that much. He's quite underwhelmed by it. He gave Transcendence 7 out of 10. Yeah. But now, there's a film at the moment which I've still not actually managed to go and see called The Two Faces of January with uh, Kirsten Dunst and Oscar Isaacs, uh, Viggo Mortensen, which is meant to be, yeah. you know, quite an old-fashioned, traditional thriller, which is meant to be pretty enjoyable. Alvin gave it a 7 out of 10. Yeah. <laughs> His description's fucking amazing. A 7 out of 10 murder over fraudulent activities leading to going on the run movie. <laughs> Again, uh, sure. Again, all spelt. All spe- all the words, all wow. the right letters are there. He's getting good at this. Um, but then when I discussed it, with, I was like, that's blown my mind. I can't, you know, like, I didn't expect you to enjoy it. I'm going to have to go and see it now. He went, yeah, it's a very good film. <laughs> I, I don't know Alvin's rating system. I mean, I do we remember... Need to- we need to stop even trying to make sense of his rating system because they, they don't make sense. He, he could hate a film. He'll come out going, oh, it's a bit shit. Give it a 7 out of 10, though, because everyone else seems to enjoy it. It's just like, <laughs> yeah. he, just, yeah. he just picks arbitrary numbers just on a, on a complete whim. The, the factors for de- deciding it are just different yeah. every time. Depends if other people enjoyed it. I don't know. what He's, he's mad. So, X-Men Days of Future Past. I think we should use Alvin really now. Uh, to describe the films for us before we properly launch into our discussion, because he, he, yeah. he's, he's good at kind of that concise description of a film. Yeah, he's he's got it down. You know, so he's he's given X Men Days of Future Past a nine out of ten, and he calls it a nine out of ten sending Wolverine to correct a certain point in time movie, which I mean they're one of my favourite type of films to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I love a good sending yeah. Wolverine back to to correct a certain point in time movie. It's basically that term. You could say the same same review for Terminator. Just <laughs> rebels sending Kyle back to. Well, it is a it is a bit a Terminator, isn't it? Really. Yeah, I guess. Um, this one. I mean, everybody's on hunted down by well sentinels, but you know, might as well, machines. Let's you know put it that way. Yeah. Um, and what I really liked, what I really liked about it, and not to say it doesn't have time paradoxes, it probably does, but it avoided the most obvious one. It's just, 
instead it doesn't send a character back into time they go back into their own sort of consciousness or something so he he yeah. suddenly remembers everything he did from he before which I, time rather than yeah exactly his mind so that i thought that was really clever because i was it's not that oh what if what if a uh, new wolverine bumps into old wolverine and uh, there's no bullshit like that he just yeah. he sort of wakes up and he knows all this stuff and uh and he it, appears in quite a funny little scene it's got some great it, it works really well in the script and it allows for some really interesting exchanges between the characters and yeah. it avoids all this sort of getting rid of the old wolverine and oh yeah, definitely and i mean that really well done i'd kind of forgotten because i mean the, the past two sort of times we've seen wolverine is ugh, they've not been great i mean i did quite enjoy the last wolverine film but it wasn't brilliant um, mm. But it was really nice to see Hugh Jackman as Wolverine in an X-Men film again. Because he is really good mm. as that character. You can see why he's done seven films. <laughs> and why Marvel don't want him to leave. Because <laughs> uh, he, yeah. he he really nails it. And he's he's superb. Just, you know, just in, in his interactions with, like, every single character. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Um, what else? What else? I don't know what else to discuss here. Um, obviously, it's I just... mean... The main thing with the X Men has always been that it's about like civil rights. It's about championing the the sort of those that are different and stuff like that. And I thought this one at the start has some really, really like on the nose, like quite harsh Holocaust imagery. You know, like sort of mutants and human beings being sort of marched through this kind of wire, sort of pen, and sort of bodies being sort of dumped into to pits and stuff like that it's quite a striking opening for something that is you know like a family blockbuster for the for the summer holidays sort of thing yeah i just think it's a really tightly woven story everything's <laughs> really the characters like like james mcavoy who i didn't think was particularly good as say professor xavier in the last yeah. in last stand he comes alive in this he's fantastic he is all the characters good, have yeah. excellent chemistry the the balance of characters is really good because another thing that I didn't like about First Class is it's got so many superfluous characters in it. It so, does, yeah. We, oh, it's a prequel, so we can't have you know Storm and Wolverine and all these guys. So we have to pick some of the more obscure mutants from the comics. So we can so kill them got, off and we can do with whatever they want. And stuff yeah, so we can yeah. Just, half of them die really early on, and then the others just knock around for no reason. So when you get to the final fight sequence, you've got the stuff that matters, the important stuff between Mag- Magneto or Eric and um, Charles. Yeah. But then at the same time, you've got like the, the Sona guy flying around fighting the devil looking guy. And it doesn't matter. Like You don't care about any of those characters because uh-huh. they get barely any screen time. It's all just superfluous action that doesn't need to be there. This doesn't have any of that shit. That all no. those characters, uh, you know, aren't needed in the film, so they're not in the film. And a lot of people go, "Oh, it didn't have enough Quicksilver." And I was like, "It had just the right amount of Quicksilver because his scene is brilliant. It is it's great, so good." I, it's one of those but, things that I think that you know they, they never really quite capsulate, like with the, like the Flash in terms of DC comics, is that well, yes, their power is that they go really really fast, but wouldn't the more interesting thing to be to look at how they experience that rather than how yeah. we experience it and that's yeah it's a, such a great great scene yeah see so he, he he only has like a couple of scenes and they're so indulgent they give him so much to do and yeah. really show off his powers and he's and then he's not in it anymore and people go, oh he should have been in it more like, no because if they'd written it he would have gone along with them for the rest of their journey for no reason other than just to have him on having screen time and yeah. satisfy fans because he's a kid and he's got no training yeah, exactly. he he doesn't know the characters because if anyone you know um, hasn't seen it, they're trying to stop Mystique from doing something which leads to the apocalyptic apocalyptic future. He doesn't know Mystique, and he doesn't know any of these other people, so he would have no reason to go yeah. along. Uh, and it would have meant like well, when his you dad's get to, like, like the people, f- but you know. Yeah, well, that was sort of hinted at, wasn't it? But when he Although gets he, to the in last the comics, he is. <laughs> yeah, but he, he hints in the. Um, yeah. In the lift, isn't he? He goes, right. oh, so you can bend metal or control metal. I, my mum used to know someone that could do that. Um, but yeah, and in the, it turns out like when the in, the in the final scene, all the action stuff, if if Quicksilver had been there, they, they would have had to find a way of sort of stopping him from being able to use his power because his power is so yeah, powerful. Yeah, saved everybody. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they would have had to somehow write him out of it or get him distracted with something else. It would have It would have been really superfluous. But as it turns out, there isn't any superfluous action like that because everyone has something to do and it's it just generally felt like a really tightly woven script the characters 
they have a very clear objective and the film is all about them achieving that goal. Uh-huh. It's, there's no sort of stupid subplots and tangents. And, and then, it, you know, is it like the, the sort of second act? It all starts to go, go awry and Magneto sort of wanders off from the group and starts doing his own thing and it uh-huh. all starts to fall apart. The characters sort of sort of start to lose it and think oh we're not going to be able to do it it's all the plans failed and it's it's really good like it I was tips, like the second act where it all starts to fall apart what's going to happen and the, the it's brilliantly structured as well because you know what the, the, the consequences for failure are you know what's at stake and um, the way it cuts between you know the future and the past it, it you know keeps the, the excitement going oh it, yeah definitely I mean generates the, tension it's fantastic yeah I mean the, the other thing you know like you say it's a really tightly woven story and, and script and the let's face facts you've got Patrick Stewart Ian McKellen Jennifer Lawrence Michael Fassbender James McAvoy Hugh Jackman mm. Halle Berry etc etc and they all you know it balances them quite well fair enough some of them like Halle Berry for example don't get a lot to do but yeah if, it, there, if there are any superfluous characters it they're in the future bit, but, but you're not there long enough for them to feel superfluous. They're just like, well, they're there to defend Wolverine. Well, exactly, he yeah. In the past, so that's fine. I can just watch this, and, and that's okay. Yeah, it, it never feels that they're kind of just hanging around, or they're, they're there just to pay lip service to the previous films. That they're, they're there yeah, for exactly. a reason, and, and yeah, it's, it's it's great. Yeah, and they're 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 there for a reason, and that reason often is to to be killed by the sentinels yeah. but that serves a narrative purpose you know that reinforces uh, what how powerful these sentinels yeah. are and how powerless the x-men are to stop them so again it it, it creates the tension and the drive it drives the, the movie forward and it, yeah it's just it's so competent like and extremely enjoyable it's like you say the characters are great wolverine is fantastic it's i love the setting uh yeah, I love the civil yeah. the civil rights sort of theme that's prevalent through it. So it, it does have a sort of, a lot of substance. I think like, like I'm always saying that any good comic book or sci-fi film should reflect like a, or not should, but often the, the best ones do reflect like some sort of social issue yes, or political definitely. issue. And they make a statement and make, you know, yeah. and that's great. It explores its ideas really well. And the fucking, the characters, they're just so good. Like My- Michael Fassbender is the only thing I liked about First Class because he's uh-huh. just such a he's... fucking class act, yeah. <laughs> and he's brilliant in this. Like his characters really done. They do him justice really well. It's great seeing his seeing uh, his transition. Yeah, seeing how he gets to that. Well, I mean, the other thing that is that the the climax of the film, without maybe saying too much to spoil it, is that. Like Captain America, my main criticism of, of it was that in the end it just becomes this massive kind of just, oh, well, we'll crash this helicarrier into that building <laughs> yeah. and this helicarrier into that building. But this, it's it's a much more personal sort of climax. It's like, it's it's two men that, you know, have lost their way um, mm. try, and then, you know, mystique, you know, and they're trying to talk, you know, them out of doing terrible things to save yeah. the future and that they don't need to decimate a city block to make the point you know mm. it's it's magneto on the lawn of the white house with a with a fucking baseball stadium and, and that's your climax there doesn't need to be this kind of like huge explosions and stuff like that sometimes the more the most interesting climaxes to films are character pieces yeah definitely definitely and it's it's really well written as well I was just thinking like you don't you don't um the bad guys, you don't judge them because you, you understand their point. Because there's a lot of really, really good dialogue in the White House scenes where um, sort of politicians are explaining to the president yeah. why mutants are such a threat. Like, what if what if this shape-shifting mutant does this? What if they do this? They could walk in impersonating you yeah. and launch a nuclear missile. And you're like, well, yeah. And that's I just one they, of them. They could. <laughs> yeah, and that's just one of them. So yeah. it, you understand like the 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 human sort of fear of the mutants. You understand obviously from the good guys' side, like Professor X's sort of desire to 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 be an example and you know use their gifts for good. But also Magneto's sort of fear that you know they will turn on us. We we so you don't. He's not this sort of um, cliched two D bad guy villain. You really feel and understand his characters. And yeah. you don't judge, you don't hate any of them, you don't judge, you don't want to see the bad guy get a comeuppance or anything. It's it's too um, intelligent for that. It's not that kind of cliched sort of film. So it just, yeah, it just defied all my expectations uh, on every level. 
I really enjoyed it. It's and it's oh, for me, me, too, it's me def- too, yeah. definitely up there with Avengers. And I loved the last Captain America film. And I, yeah, this is up there. I'd I'd give it a nine out of ten, like like Alvin. If I <laughs> no, I, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I was so surprised um, that I did love it as much as I did. Um, mm. And it's nice to be surprised by blockbusters these yeah. days. And you know, yeah, fair enough. Sometimes it is the power of low expectations and stuff like that. But but yeah, it's it's. What I wanted from Days of Future Past was wouldn't it be nice to just have a really good X Men film again, and mm. and that's what we got. Um, so yeah, yeah, very happy. Yeah, talking about power of low expectations. Yeah, I guess Edge of Tomorrow, which is currently sort of ranking in um, sort of four star, three star reviews. Um, is that fair, or is it like we say, the power of low expectations? Let's hear what Alvin has to say first of all before me and okay. you, me and you yeah. dive in. Uh, Alvin calls it an eight out of ten, Groundhog Day War against Aliens movie. Fair enough. Yeah, so this is pretty, pretty With good robots. description. Yeah. Well, they're not robots. No, are they're they? not. They're, um, I mean, they're kind of got this kind of weird mechanical sort of, suits. Yeah, but um, yeah. What did you do? Edge of Tomorrow? Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. Oh, I expected the absolute worst. Like yeah. really. Tom Cruise just done Oblivion. I was like, yeah, old man doing a shitty sci-fi. Like, um, Doug Lehman hadn't, hasn't done anything good since Born Identity. Uh, mm-hmm. And I suspected that that was by fluke rather than <laughs> skill. <laughs> like, it's just, he happened to have such a good script and such a good cast and such a good story that he couldn't fuck it up. Um, but yeah, I, my expectations were really low. But then I started seeing all these reviews rolling in. Yeah. Like, really like, oh, it's really good. It's, and I, Okay, and I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, yeah and me, I, too. I, I, me too. I do think it's the you know, power of low expectations. It's not an amazing film, but no. it is actually a very enjoyable Hollywood blockbuster, and it's a fantastic idea. It reminds you like why Groundhog Day is so revered because it's such a good idea. Yeah, and it's just really fun to think about. And oh, what what else could he have done? It's not that are we, you're not sitting watching a film going, he should have done this. Yeah. This is stupid. It's like everything he did was fine, but you're also thinking. What if he'd done this? He could yeah. have done this. It's such... The idea is so ripe for um, creativity. It's You can't really go wrong with it. And they didn't. I no, think they, they did a really... Did the idea justice. It's really, kind of... Really good. It's funny because I came out of it going, yeah, that's why Tom Cruise is such a bankable Hollywood star. Because he is good at what he does when he's given the right sort of material. Because he's mm. funny. He's <laughs> He's really funny in this. Yeah, and you know he and and they kind of also kind of play against that kind of smug sort of character type that he sometimes plays by going, okay, so you're this you're this marketing guru that's been sort of you know sort yeah. of selling this war to the general public. How are you going to fare actually in the battlefield? You know, and he sort of just has that all stripped from him, and it, it's quite it, that's a really clever thing to do at the start of the film, I think. Mm. Oh, that was that was my only problem with the film. Actually, it's a bit of a is it? I don't know if McGovern is the right McGuffin. McGuffin. Well, the McGuffin yeah, is surely the, right. the the thing that they're aiming. That, that's always the thing that they're trying to find. Which is what's it called again? The Alpha, the, the, the alpha, Omega, yeah, the, the Omega. Yeah. No, it's the Omega, isn't it? Yeah, the, the Omega. Yeah. Yeah. The Alpha. Yeah, McGuffin's the not that, the right. Yeah. It's not the right term, but um, the thing that get he just gets stripped of his rank and made to fight in the war for no discernible reason whatsoever. It's because Brendan Gleeson doesn't like him, and if Brendan Gleeson doesn't like you, you're fucked. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, but it, you know, it's so absurd that a press officer would be made to fight in a war just because he doesn't like. It's just mad, <laughs> and that he'd have the power to do it, and um, and also that he's the he's the press officer. So for the war, he's on. He's you're shown that he's always going on television talking to everyone, but no one recognizes him. Like no one knows who he is yeah. when he goes to the barracks. Like everyone just <laughs> like true, they've never yeah, seen him before. Never so you would that. know who he is. Um, because he's like the celebrity officer, so more than more than the, the the actual important officers, they would all know who he is because he's the celebrity one that yeah. goes on TV to talk about the war. But uh, you get over that very quickly, and it, it's actually a really good, a really good film. Yeah. I mean, I, the, I, the, it. I was about to say the monster design, but the alien design is great. They look really yeah, cool pretty out there. Yeah, they're just kind of like these faces on like these kind of cables and light mm. and stuff. Yeah, they look amazing. The first yeah. time you see that sort of big blue, the alpha, big blue thing sort of bearing down on Tom Hanks, I was like, fucking hell, this is this is cool. This is the really oh, cool thing. 
Tom Hanks' first death scene, fucking well full on. You get that shot of his face. Oh, yeah, his face just like, getting rotted. Jesus. Yeah. I was like, oof. Yeah, I was really... I was like, is this a fucking 15? Can you imagine a seven-year-old sitting watching that? It's fucking nightmares. Yeah, it is pretty pretty heavy. But then they kind of... They do that thing where it just kind of... The deaths become more and more comic like yeah. as it goes on. And then they kind of switch it the other way around and it's like, well, actually, you know, the stakes are quite high and stuff like that. And then... Um, yeah, it's it is a lot of fun while you're watching it. I mean, it's perhaps not going to be particularly memorable, but it's a bloody enjoyable, you know, ride while you're while you're there watching it. Yeah, no, I don't think it's it's not going to go down in history as like one of the all-time great blockbusters or sci-fi films. Mm-hmm. Um but I, no, it's just just good. Yeah, I don't know much else to say about it really. The effects are amazing. Um the characters are all very likable and relatable. They're well drawn out. They've got, you know, depth. Yeah. Um, oh, one thing I, I was really impressed with as well, and it's Emily Blunt again. She's so um, good. <laughs> I yeah. love Emily Blunt. But it was... She didn't get enough attention for Looper, and I doubt she will for this, for doing a role that... It's not the damsel in distress. She's exactly, not the love yeah. interest that's just Because I was really worried that that was what was going to happen. Yeah, because the fact that he saves her, I was like, oh, okay, fine. I see where this is going. She's like this strong woman and stuff like that, but he saves her life so that you know it ends up being. Mm. But it's not that. It never really kind of becomes that. No, there's this it, slight she's... tension between the two of them, but it's more just that kind of thing that they're facing death. <laughs> so yeah. you'd probably want to just grab hold of something just before you die, rather than they're falling in love, sort of thing. Yeah, it's not that they fall in love. It's just I think that that she. Um... It's about a respect, yeah. like he earns her respect. And he earns her respect, not the other way around. Uh-huh. It's that she is this, you know, elite commando and he has to sort of prove himself to her. And it's not about falling in love, yeah. but there is, you know, the, there's the hint at romance and it's and it's perfect because it doesn't really explore it. It just yeah. hints that if they had more time together that maybe something would have happened, but, it, you know, it's not meant to be. It's war and what's important is that they earn, like, they have a respect for each other and... Yeah, it's just fantastic. Her character is important to the the narrative. She's not secondary. She's not superfluous. She's not there for eye candy. She's you yeah. know a really important character. She drives the plot forward along with Tom Cruise's character. She's given so much to do. It's brilliant. There's not yeah. enough really strong, well-rounded female characters. No, there's absolutely in, not in in Hollywood films, and it's great to see Emily Blunt actually doing it again because Looper was she was very much the same sort of role. Yeah, um, that's true. In Looper, and yeah, you know, I don't think got much credit for that, um, and I doubt she will for this because unfortunately, it's not like I say, it's not the sort of blockbuster that's going to go down in the history books. No, <laughs> but it is. It will be forgotten about. It I think. is a nice surprise in amongst you know what we've got this year, which is you know Captain America, X Men, Transformers, etc. It is kind of a nice little surprise in there that if you know if you look for it, there's quite an enjoyable film that you can watch that isn't. A big franchise film or anything like that. Absolutely, it's, it's the sort of film that's like, oh, let's let's do a Hollywood blockbuster. It's a really really bankable idea. It's a great idea, Philip. And but let's do a script that isn't full of fucking cliches yeah. and cheap <laughs> and loads of fucking cheesy shit with superficial characters and superficial action. Let's just make a good film, and they've done it. They've done a really yeah. good job, and I, I was really impressed, and very surprised, especially because Doug Liman's had a couple of fucking duds as well, isn't yeah. he? He did that jumper, uh, <laughs> and did he do Miss Mr. and Mrs. Smith as well? I think he did. I think he did. Yeah. Just he did Born Identity, and thought, oh, this he could, you know, do something really good with that, and then just did a load of shit for a few years. So I went in with very low expectations. Yeah. Um, but Sorry, yeah, I just did a good job. I just started thinking about when you said, uh, "Oh, what else? What else would the Tom Cruise done?" I think you know the bit where he's in the pub, and the guy's like, "Oh, shouldn't you be out there?" He goes, "I've been out there. You know, I've been out there more times than anybody else. I'm usually dead by now." And the guy's like, "Coward! I would have picked up the pint glass and just smashed it over his head." <laughs> yeah, just stab him to death because you can, <laughs> and just leave. Yeah. Oh, that was one thing I didn't get. Is that like Emily Blunt's like, "I used to have the power, and then I lost it." So, how do you find out you've lost it without dying? Um, right. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Or is it because Tom Cruise had this line? No, later, he like, oh, no, says, I've, I can feel that I've lost it. So I like, just, I can just feel it. Just like, feel yeah, it's a bit so, of a tenuous right. uh, <laughs> yeah, leap. A bit. Yeah, 
But I thought know. one thing. I thought they could have worked it in. Actually, they could have said um, she woke up in a hospital bed, and they'd they'd given me loads of blood, and they told me that my heart had stopped, and they had to resuscitate me. Yeah, that so worked. she'd been dead. Clinically, she'd yeah. been dead, or is it brain dead? Ooh, I don't know. Does your brain have to be clinically dead before you? <laughs> if you're a doctor and you're listening to this, please, please let us know. Yeah, right in. How factually uh, accurate or inaccurate is <laughs> Edge of Tomorrow? But no, I really enjoyed it. It was good, yeah, and it's too. funny as well. It's just it just like X Men. Like... It's got the perfect amount of humour, and it's it's light hearted enough for it to not you know be miserable because yeah. it's pretty strong just like x-men that you know the, the content what's at stake it's very grim mm, yeah but well, it's just punctuated with, mankind. <laughs> yeah it's just punctuated with you know very good jokes uh at the right time and and you know lots of likable affable characters that you actually care about yeah brilliant loved it actually it was good me too oh, that's nice yeah. what a nice note to end on yeah, for this month's not episode. often that you get to really, um, really celebrate. Well, to... especially after Oblivion, you know, yeah. like I was like, oh, here we go. This is the intelligent science fiction blockbuster that I was kind of wanting from Oblivion that we didn't really get. Um, yeah. So yeah. Oh, I was. I. It's been a pretty good month, all in all. Like one one Hollywood blockbuster that isn't shit. <laughs> bit disappointing, but it isn't you know yeah. a bad film. And then and then two that actually. Really, really enjoyed. Yeah. Not often you get two fucking Hollywood blockbusters come along that are really good. Well, exactly. In the same month. And I've not even had time to talk about Blue Ruin and Frank, so, you know, there we go. It's been a good You need month. to do another podcast for people. By myself, <laughs> just in the room going, hello, uh, I've watched these films this month. Yeah, like and an indie, will, an indie nobody film Nobody will review. talk to me about them because they haven't seen them. <laughs> find, find a fellow... <laughs> Indie film goer and do a podcast with them. You have to talk about good films. Okay. I'd listen to it because okay. I don't Let's... get to see these films. Um, so, uh, well, we're going to do something a bit different, aren't we? Uh, yeah, we don't know what yet. We don't quite know what. I mean, there's been a few questions that we've not addressed on the Facebook page. So, what I propose to you, Stuart, is we address those. In because I'm coming back down to Thanet, listeners. Okay, me and Stuart are going to be. <laughs> reunited at last and we're going to go and see Bob. Bob and we're going to do a, do an episode you know back to like a reunion special okay now a guy a guy I know Derek um, he suggested that we talk about the films that made us the people we are today which is quite a tall order to be honest yeah that's, <laughs> it's that's quite good. a tall order but that's a nice idea um, Adam you know our, our Australian friend Adam he um, thought about well, what films, would, like old films, would we like to discuss? So maybe we could pick like a couple of classics. I've yeah. recently watched Bringing Out the Dead, which I loved. A Martin Scorsese film that I'd never seen before. You know, and um, that might be worth talking about. We could pick. We could each pick a film from each decade. Say going from like sixties up to the oh, last that'd decade. Be good. Pick one film from each decade. Well, why don't we put it out to our listeners? When are you? Oh, when are sure. You I've back? got a better idea. It's yeah. two thousand and fourteen, right? We pick right. a film from 1964, 1974, 1984, 1994, 2004. Okay, yeah. It's quite that's a nice good. idea. Okay, so that's 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 a potential idea. So I I say we should put it out to our listeners. If you're listening, yeah. you got what two weeks before you come down, Mark? Uh, well, at time of recording, yeah. You got, let's say two weeks. When you well, so when, when are you down? What what date are you 13th. coming down? So we're doing the podcast on the 14th, are we? Yeah, we're going, we're going to do it before Ben. So if you're listening, you've got until the 14th of June to give us some suggestions. Like what would you like to hear us do on our special Bob cast? Reunion special. Podcast, yeah. Um, give us some ideas. We've got a few from already, like the ones we just came up with yeah. and Adams and... Uh, Derek's. Derek. Which are good ideas. So any more suggestions? Otherwise, we'll end up going with one of them, I think. But let us know on Facebook and on Twitter. Will we talk about 22 Jump Street then as well? Or do you want to wait to save that for the end of the month? We'll see how good our suggestions are. Or <laughs> 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 yeah, well, maybe, like, if, if we... I guess if we're both fucking dying to talk about it, then... Uh, Which may not be. I don't know. No, I I'm really, really like looking the forward first to it. <laughs> I really love the first one. I want to love this one. I'm excited, but I've got... A sneaky feeling it's not going to be that good. Yeah. 
the trailer just doesn't doesn't sell it to but me. But then the trailer for the first one didn't sell it to me that much either. Yeah, it did it enough. Did me, it did enough, but it wasn't until I watched it. I was like, oh, this is great. So who knows? Who knows? Yeah, it could go either way. It's exciting. Stay tuned. <laughs> to be continued. <laughs> yeah. Um, should uh, follow us on Twitter, shouldn't they, Mark? They should. Um, follow me. I'm at Old Man Crondas. Crondas with a K. And you can follow me at Thin Reaper. And uh, like us on Facebook. Two guys yeah. won't work in the cinema. And uh, we'll see you. Well, we'll maybe see you in a couple of weeks' time. Yeah, definitely. I'll certainly see you in a less than two weeks' time. Can't wait. It's exciting. It's gonna be. It's gonna be romantic. <laughs> Whether you, you like it or not. <laughs> <laughs> Me, you, and Bob. It's gonna be messy. I really hope Bob's got the windows open. <laughs> yeah, we're really going to upset the neighbours this time. <laughs> the hor- yeah, we're going to scare the horses. Those horses think they've seen some shit. They ain't seen nothing. Bye. Bye.